episode, we are joined by Hadass Goldman, actress, activist, theatre producer, artist and pioneer. As one of the founders of the Talbot movement, Talbot meaning culture, she's joining us today from where she lives in Afula. Hi, Hadass. Hi, Anton. Very nice to be here. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Good. Good to see you. So tell us a little bit about the movement you established and the sort of things that it's involved in. Talbot movement is a national organization in Israel that I'm one of the co-founders of. I had the privilege to be part of a small group of very young aspiring artists back in 2005-2006. We were all went to art high schools, I studied theater, and when we finished our army service, we sort of uh, already had an idea that we wanted to to do something completely different with our art that's connected to social issues and social problems in Israel, but it was still like really, really the, be- the beginning. And so uh, the first thing that we did was actually something that we didn't do, which is the course that many Israelis take, which is to finish your service and then go on like a big trip abroad and then go straight to the university. Instead of that, we decided to move to a city in the north of Israel called Afula, which is a low-income city in Israel, and uh, basically start to work at a very grassroots level with the community in the city, in one of the neighborhoods in the city. And from there, we started to expand our activity both in this, uh, this local neighborhood and city and also all over Israel. And the Tarbut movement today, almost 13, 14 years later, has over 500 young artists that are spread out in, um, in a network of what we call an urban art kibbutz in cities all over the country. And the founding group still lives in Afula that I'm part of. And what we do in the community, in the communities that we work in, we're all, we're all like, uh, like all over, like north, south of Israel. And we, uh, we work, you know, we work with all of the, all of the populations in Israel. Our basic idea is, is that, first of all, like I said in the beginning, very basic concept that artists have, have a social responsibility to shape the, the, the society that they live in and to not disconnect from social problems and social issues uh, the specific society or community that you live in face, whether it's immigration uh, absorption in Israel or whether it's uh, econo- social economic gaps between the center and the periphery of Israel whether it's gender equality issues and that, um, and also of course community organizing. Because one of the things that we see in these uh, like more low income areas of Israel, it's also a, it's a modern phenomenon is that you see that communities are falling apart. Art and culture, in our eyes, are not just a vessel of, of conveying uh, messages and educating, but they're also a way to strengthen the ties within a community. And so we work to organize uh, local, uh, local communities through the, through the arts by forming local groups of women, of artists, of uh, people from a, from a specific neighborhood. We work within uh, the, the public education system. The idea is to use um, art integration uh, in the curriculum of the school and work with teachers to integrate artists into the curriculum of the, of the school. Uh, we establish local galleries and theaters and um, we hold like big productions within uh, the city to create a stage for local artists to also be able to showcase their art and perform. The different networks of, of all these, these 500 artists that are spread out uh, all over the country 
um, are doing all of these things in, in different cities. So each of them has, of course, a unique model that's specific to that city or the neighborhood that they work in. And in every city, there are visual artists, musicians, directors, actors, uh, writers, uh, filmmakers that, that, that live within that city and, and uh, connect with each other. But they're also connected to a national network of these communities, of these kibbutzim all over, all over the country, too. Well, sounds incredibly, incredibly inspiring. And I've definitely been following this progress over the years. You have, you have. <laughs> I want to ask you specifically about Afula, mm-hmm. because it's a place that maybe people outside of Israel haven't heard of. It's in the periphery. It's up in the north. You mentioned socioeconomic issues that really uh, trouble the city. And I'm wondering, what was the city that you found when you got there? Why did you choose that city specifically? And what's happened over the years, the relationships that you've built, the changes maybe that you've seen over the years? Tell us a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. So just a little bit of background. The Fula is uh, like many cities that are um, like outside of the center of Israel, like the Tel Aviv area. There are cities that are under, first of all, they're underfunded in terms of uh, businesses or companies that come there and and create job opportunities. Um, And also historically, uh, Afula is a city, again, like like many other cities, but this is a city that absorbed uh, many immigration waves. Basically, every immigration wave that came to Israel since the 1930s came to Afula. So the Russian immigration, immigration from North Africa in the 1950s, the Russian uh, immigrant, the second Russian immigration to Israel in the 90s, Ethiopian immigration. So they all part of the of the the state's policy to bring uh, these people, like uh, to spread them out across the country, to bring them to cities like Afula. But in Afula, what it means is that you have a lot, um, you have many uh, new immigrants that basically come to to the same city and also don't have as many job opportunities, don't have a strong education system. And many of these, uh, of these cities are, are kind of uh, left behind, um, especially in comparison to the economic and financial center of Israel, which is Tel Aviv. And of course, what it also causes is, it, uh, is a tension between the different uh, cultures that came to the city. So you have this sort of concentration of, of social issues in a city like Afula, you have a concentration of all these uh, social issues. And at the same time, because it lacks opportunities for the younger generation, so many of the young people that grew up in these cities leave to go and live in Tel Aviv. So these cities are also aging and they have a demographic decline in the amount of young people that are living within these cities. So when we came to Afula uh, 10, 11 year- years ago, we encountered all of these issues. And the question was, how do we, how do we generate new resources within this community? Afula is about 50,000 people. How do we generate new resources within this community that can uh, reverse these trends? One of the things is addressing the, the civil society level. How is this community organized? How can people be uh, represented better when they need to deal with the local government, with the local municipality? actually identifying the specific needs of this community. So community organizing isn't just fun and games and entertainment. It's actually getting people together and getting them to talk about their issues and, and, their, and their problems and seeing each other as partners to actually address whether it's lighting on, on the streets and, you know, and having a proper lighting infrastructure in the streets or, and whether it's uh, opening 
a new uh, theater or venue uh, within the city or whether it's improving the public education system and not having the parents have to send their kids to boarding schools to like foster homes and to send them outside of the city for education. And so when we came into the city, we sort of started very, very grassroots. It was uh, understanding that, that a city like Afura faces these issues and that we want to be part of creating the solutions and not as service providers. Uh, we don't want to just give out handouts and be the service providers of the city, but we want to integrate into the local community and work in partnership with uh, local leaders within the community, whether it's the Ethiopian community or uh, women that are uh, in leadership positions or uh, teachers, the educators community, the educators within the city. So actually working with existing uh, leadership within the city and boosting that and helping to organize it. So that's, again, one, one type of resource is, first of all, the community, is the civil society level of it. And you've managed to cultivate those partnerships with the leaders, with the residents in the neighborhoods? Yes, uh, it was a long process, but I'm gonna, I'll give two examples of things that in, in my eyes, in our eyes, are really big success. One is, okay, so just to, to give you a picture, so in the photo we came in, we were six people, uh, we were 21 years old, and today uh, we have over 50 artists that, that relocated to the city, that moved to the city. Our core group is, uh, is 50 people. And today, through our community organizing uh, uh, work that we've done, we have uh, two new significant like sub-communities. One is a local artist community. So it's either professional or semi-professional or amateur local artists. So that's another circle of around 50 to 70 local artists residents of, uh, of Afula that are organized and meet on a weekly basis. They uh, initiate events. They can address like uh, political or social issues on a wider scale within the city. So that's like another circle of like 50 to 70 people. And another uh, sub-community is a local uh, LGBT community that we were very prominent in, uh, in, in starting it and establishing it in, in the city. Again, you can probably imagine a small town, uh, not in like the, the very, uh, you know, robust and developed like LGBTQ culture, like in Tel Aviv, a city like Fula that it had no had no gay community when when we came in was that a, a difficult response like did you have to deal with a lot of pushback from that coming to a city which is traditionally not this hotbed of as you say progressive leftism right i have a complicated answer to that question first of all the phrase uh, smolani leftist is not something that we use i think because of the the stigma not just cuz we don't want to like identify with a bad with a bad stigma on us but in terms of politically what's uh what is so-called perceived as the left represents in israel it's a different issue but not to try and label left or right because it's it's complicated in israel but to talk about the issues okay what are the issues the issues are economic equality the issues are civil uh, liberties and uh, human rights and access to health care access to uh, transportation to jobs okay so the actual issues without the category left okay without labeling it exactly so that's first of all in terms of like how we label ourselves yes of course uh, if you look at us in the political map we are in terms of our identifying with uh, left or right we are, we are of course left and, and progressive 
Um, but when, especially when talking to communities that have this bad stigma on this label, which is very much, of course, the result of the propaganda of the right, we don't use that. We don't need that branding. We need to talk about the issues and we need to, people to, to organize around uh, these issues and also eventually to vote on these issues, of course, which is a little bit more complicated. But, uh, but that's the paradigm shift is to get people to care about these issues and then eventually to get them to, to shift their political support to people that will promote that kind of uh, policy. But even so, have you, have you at any point found yourselves frozen out of conversations because people have said, oh, we don't want to be talking to those guys because they're... Not really. The tougher label, uh, which again, we can't do anything against, is outsiders because we, we didn't grow up in a full out. I think that's like, the main like the main challenges. First of all, are you going to stay here? Did you just come for a few years and you're going to leave? You don't understand the issues because you didn't grow up here. Are you going to raise your kids here like the next generation? Are you patronizing? Okay, all of these that you know better than us, all, all of these things that are, again, not because of a certain label, but because of really the reality, which is totally, totally understandable because, again, because in these cities, people come and go and, and you have all of these NGOs and all these organizations that don't necessarily like uh, root themselves deeply within the community, but just like come and go and like volunteer with, within the cities. The suspicion is understandable. It's also ironic that it's more legitimate for people that grew up and are born in a fuller to leave a fuller and to want to leave and run away from there than it is for people from outside of a fuller wanting to come and invest in the community and in the city. And it's sort of that who's, right. who's in the right and who's in the wrong and what's more acceptable and what's more legitimate and who's going to get stick for what. Right. I don't think we've, we've ever really gotten pushback or delegitimization because of that. It has made it sometimes difficult to, for people to cooperate and be part of our activities and things that, that we initiate. So it's not really like resisting what we're doing, but it's how are we able to incorporate more people in, in what we're doing? So I'll, I'll give an example of the, the LGBT communities. In many ways, like the way that we experienced a pushback is first of all, just by being ignored. And why do we even need to create a LGBT uh, culture or activities or community here? Um, there are no LGBT people in Afula or in the area. Okay, so first of all, just the ignoring, repressing the issue. And of course, there are LGBT people in Afula and in the area. Um, they're just in the closet and they're just being mistreated or their uh, needs uh, aren't being met. They don't have the resources. And so when we, so again, in, in, in the beginning, in terms of like the, um, this this type of uh, of activity and this type of community, the first reaction was, uh, why do we even create this type of this type of culture in Afula? And also, like, why do you need to be so like out of the closet? It's okay that, and again, not just from our community. When you open this door, people finally, you know, have a chance to be part of something and, and they come, uh, not just from the Tarbuta community. So then the issues start to be, okay, we understand that you exist. Why do you have to be loud? Okay, why do you have to... Shout it from the rooftops. Right, exactly. So that's like another, another form of pushback. And the interesting thing here, I think, is seeing this process of a community developing tolerance and uh, acceptance of these issues as an educational process and the process that happens over time, over a long period of time. I'll give actually a, a really fresh example from very recently. So 
So the LGBT community that we were part of the founders of and we, we established, which today has, there's a youth branch and there's young adults and there's uh, young families and there's picnic, gay picnics and there's uh, events for the holidays and, and everything. And now it's going to be June. It's going to be Pride Month, right? And we want to hold a gay uh, pride event. So where is it going to be in the city? Okay, is it going to be in the central part of the, the, the town? Or is it going to be not in the center of the town? What, what type of event is it going to be? So event, we, we started out planning it to be in the center of town. But, and we, we did get approval for this. But um, in order for, it, for us to hold it in, in the center, we needed to, uh, to get a lot of city funding for you know, police, security, that type of uh, funding. And the city didn't want to give us funding for that. And in other, like more central cities in Israel, the municipality is very invested in like the gay pride events in, in the city. And in Afula, they were like, listen, we're okay for you that, that there's going to be an event and we're going to also like help you like promote it. But we, were, we're, we can't invest in it as, as a city, which basically means is that you're not going to be able to hold it in like the central area. You're going to have to do it in the like the shoe. In the old market. In the, in the, in, it's actually the new market, but it's like in a, in a closed off area that's, that's not, not as central. Okay. We actually had a meeting about this last night with representatives uh, from the different organizations that, that work here now and the different, like the, the entire community. And we said, okay, so what are we going to do? And it was interesting that the Israeli, um, like the national LGBT organization, the Aguda, which is like a branch of the ACLU uh, in Israel, they called us and they were like, no, you have to go and you have to protest on this and you have to hold the protest in front of the municipality and this needs to be like a huge uh, deal and you need to resist this. And we sat down yesterday and we said, no, we're not going to do this because as opposed to this national representative uh, organization, which does amazing stuff, but it's based in Tel Aviv, we're a local uh, community or organization. Um, we understand that it's difficult for the city to digest this publicly. We've been working for many years and we've made like huge progress. We're not going to do this. Uh, we're not going to clash uh, with the municipality on this. This year, we're going to do it in the, in the market. And next year, we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll be there for two years. And then in the third year, it'll be, uh, it'll be in the center of town. And then in the fourth year, there'll be a parade in the, the, main, the main street. This type of, of thinking is, uh, is possible because we're, we're, we want to promote these liberal uh, progressive issues. Basically, what you're saying is that you need to choose your battles and uh, you're there for the long term. And there's things that you understand that are going to take much longer to change and influence and right. that you can do immediately. And it's about choosing which things are the desperate, you know, you're, you're going to stand up and say no. And which things you're going to say, maybe this year we'll do it their way. But let's do the groundwork to make a change to be different next time. Right. This is one issue that you're dealing with amongst many. And uh, you can't start fighting every fight uh, with the municipality because you want their partnership and uh, take this as a loss and you, and you come back next year fighting stronger. And again, for us, it's not a loss because this event did not happen in, in past years. This is a new event. It's just like, what is, how many steps can you take in one, at one time? Can you go like an entire flight of stairs or need, you need to just take two steps? For us, it doesn't feel like a loss because, um, because it's actually progress. It might not happen as fast and as uh, righteous as you know, we, we might feel, but it's still progress. 
So that's like a huge, that's a huge thing for us. And especially the fact that the community could sit, sit down and talk about this and say, okay, how do we on one hand respect the, the local, more traditional uh, community that we're part of? And on the other hand, we're, you know, we, we have this representation, this celebration of gay pride. And in many, many cities, this doesn't, it's not able to, especially smaller cities, it's, it's tough for it to, to happen together. So for us, it's, it's actually a big success. I'll give another example on the type of progress we see in terms of the, of the entire community and like the stuff that we deal with is not just uh, in a full lab. So Tabut has a youth organization that works with youth uh, all over the country. And uh, three years ago, we established an Arab uh, branch of our youth organization. What it basically a youth organization means is that uh, for anyone who doesn't know, it's that you have like a center for youth activity that deals with a certain subject and that has counselors that are also youth that teach younger kids as well. It's an organization that has like a national uh, reach and it has many branches. So up until 2016, we were only active and we created these youth centers that were around art and like street art and culture and not just dance and painting, but also graffiti and hip hop and spoken word and all of these other forms of art. And we decided that we wanted to expand our youth organization to the Arab sector too. We asked ourselves, okay, how are we going to do this? Because all of the members of the Tarbut movement today are Jewish. They, they went through this course, they came from high school, they went to the army, and then uh, they volunteered in Tarbut, and then they finished and they established a new uh, artist community. And but if we want to work in the Arab sector, it, for us, it was obvious that it's not going to be us. We need to work with Arab artists. We need to work with Arab educators. And so we started to form partnerships in uh, Arab villages and, and cities uh, all over the north and to work with, uh, with local artists and educators and give them, them and the Jewish uh, counselors parallel training. So they had the same training, but then each of them opened branches in, in their home, home city or home, uh, hometown. Today, Tabut has over 800 students in the Arab sector of our, of our youth organization. For us, that's huge because you have like these cooperations between Arab, Jewish uh, artists working together and doing like our artistic work together too. The expansion of Tarbut is both on the local level within the cities where we started our communities, but we are, we're also expanding to new sectors and new populations within the entire Israeli society. For us, that's like another huge uh, a step in, in bringing um, artistic, cultural, artist, art education resources into, into what we call the geosocial periphery. Amazing. Amazing. That sounds incredible. Let, let's talk about that. When you, you mentioned the, the art and the, and, and the culture and changing the society, I'm wondering, what's the analysis? Why is art and culture, how can it be a vehicle and how is it a value in and of itself in terms of the change that you want to see in Israeli society? What does it bring? What can it bring? What's the potential? Or maybe also what's lacking. Okay, so this could be a podcast on its own, right? I'll try to answer briefly, okay, as, as much as possible. But because so, I think there are a few layers uh, to to this question. One is first of all the very very basic quality of art. It gives you the possibility to look at reality in a different perspective than you do normally. When you create, uh, when you write a song or when you write a, uh, a script or a play or a film, you need to create some interpretation 
of the reality that you're in. And that process of interpreting the reality gets you to think about the reality that you live in. Because you need to think about it in order to create something. You need to observe. You need to form an opinion. In some way, you need to have some kind of critical thinking about that piece of reality that you're incorporating into your art. Even if it's abstract art, you still need to interpret in some way. That quality of, of uh, interpretation and expression are crucial qualities for a healthy society and for a society that is able to change, that is able to deal with issues, and that isn't uh, stagnant. Tarbut, what, what we believe is that when you remove this quality, or it's practical, right? It's you, you, need, you need to study art, so you need to have an art teacher, you need to have someone who has an artistic point of view that you encounter. When you remove this practice, then you remove something very, very, very important in, in what it means to be human, in the fuller sense of the word, and what it also means to develop as a human being and to develop and to transform, the, be able to transform and look differently at the reality that you exist in. That's a little bit more on the philosophical level, but it's a very deep educational concept too, especially with kids, with youth, but also with young adults, with, uh, with older people. It's something that once you're, you're able to have conversations about more things, once you uh, incorporate artistic uh, processes to, to, into people's lives. That's one level. Getting art into schools, getting art into informal education, uh, working with, uh, the, again, with the community and creating artistic processes with, with the community, create, um, increasing like, uh, the creativity. That's something that puts people on a different level in, in terms of how they can actually um, think about the reality that they live in. And when you want to talk about things that need to change, they need to be able to have that, uh, that muscle of, uh, of being able to look differently and perceive things differently um, to have it be uh, uh, more developed. So that's one, that's one level in terms of, of art. Uh, in terms of culture, so Israel is a very uh, multicultural society. It's a huge issue on what, what is Israeli culture. Is Israeli culture, is it a melting pot? Is that this, between different cultures? What does that even mean? What do you do with cultures that are uh, misre um, misrepresented or underrepresented within Israeli culture? What are the commonalities? What is the common ground in Israeli culture? So all of these questions uh, are questions that eventually affect people's ability to actually connect with each other. Because eventually everybody, you know, you might come from different countries, you might come from different cultures, but everybody uses the bus, right? And everybody goes to Kupat Cholim, to the doctor. And everybody meets at the, 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 the supermarket and everybody needs to uh, participate in the, in the political uh, process, okay? Um, and everybody uh, has, sends their kids to, to an educational education system. In that sense, culture um, has, has the, the it's, it's possible for culture to be, uh, to be a, a dividing factor uh, within, within society. And a place where everybody has their own, their own little bubble or their own uh, sub-community that can connect with each other. Or a culture can be the, the ground in which people can, uh, can learn from each other, can, can be in dialogue with their heritage, their history, um, in which they not give up uh, their, their, their specific cultural identity, but also to, um, but also to connect and to learn about, about each other as well. So in that sense, um, when we talk about creating uh, cultural institutions 
in a place like Afula, but also in other cities that we work in, the issue is how do we, on one hand, amend the underrepresentation of different cultures in Israel, mostly uh, North African, Ethiopian, Russian, etc. But on the other hand, how do you not uh, create identity politics between the different cultures? When you create a cultural institution like a gallery, a theater, uh, like a music music venue or music f- uh, festival, um, you have the platform to actually create this discussion if you come from that orientation. When we create a gallery and we need to decide, okay, what is going to be the exhibition? Who are going to be the artists? What, are, what, what, what communities are going to be part of creating an exhibition uh, in this space? And we do this out of this orientation of, on one hand, giving, giving misrepresented uh, uh, cultures uh, uh, the, the ability to actually have this stage. But on the other hand, being aware of, of the, the, the multicultural richness of Israel and, and actually learning to learning about each other's cultures as well. So in, in a sense, creating these, these, uh, these cultural platforms is a way of dealing with the multicultural aspect of Israel in, uh, in a more constructive way. It's about also, though, creating culture as opposed to just giving culture a platform. It's creating something new out of different disparate things that exist in different places by bringing them together, no? Right. So the larger context of this is changing the paradigm that exists in Israel, which is that culture is created in Tel Aviv and is consumed in the periphery, okay? That's the existing paradigm. Why? Because uh, all of the, 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 the cultural institutions and, and uh, art schools are in the Tel Aviv area because that's where, like, the higher, more quality art is created. That's where all the, uh, like, 70% of the Israeli culture budget goes to to uh, Tel Aviv, and this is a very tough thing, tough thing to change because it's very also elitist to say, okay, so in in Afula, they're not just going to consume um, a play or a show that was created in Habima, which is like the big theater in Tel Aviv. In Afula, there's going to be a theater that creates plays, and there's going to there are going to be artists, and there's going to be uh, music venues, and there's going to be an art school. All of these resources that are for for the production of art and not just for the consumption of art. And that, uh, on a deeper level, that's in terms of like the, the cultural paradigm in Israel, that's something that's very, very uh, like avant-garde. Uh, it's very, very tough to change this because um, because most of the cultural existing cultural institutions and the existing econ- the economic structure of the arts in Israel is completely shaped by, by this paradigm. Just to give a small example, when we create a small theater in Afura that didn't exist before, once it's created and it's running and there's a repertoire and there's a company or an ensemble, then that theater can be funded by public funds from the Ministry of Culture in Israel. So that's actually funneling um, and redirecting funds to a place like Afula because now there is a center that actually that actually produces uh, produces art and that can actually receive funding that previously did not come to this area at all. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I remember one of your a big breakthrough, I think, moment for you, for your movement in Tel Aviv. I remember being invited down to Tel Aviv in the forecourt of the Tel Aviv Museum in Tel Aviv, and you set up this huge stage. And you had performers and speakers and performance artists. And the whole evening was like, you don't need to be rich. You don't need to be privileged to be able to enjoy and participate in art and culture. 
and the doors behind us in the, in the Tel Aviv Museum are closed and locked and need to pay to get in. But we're here celebrating free public expression. And for me, that was a really, really amazing moment. And, and I hear that now, probably, what, a decade later? Yeah. That fight is still, you know, it still fires you in terms of it needs to be accessible and specifically in the periphery. And it's not just for the, you know, the bourgeoisie in Tel Aviv that uh, can afford to pay the entrance fee to some blown up expression, which may or may not be, you know, it's amazing that all this time has passed. And that's something that still uh, you still see as one of your missions to change that reality. And you're actually doing it. Thank you. Yeah, that was actually looking back uh, really a, a decade uh, later. It, it's pretty amazing. I think that when we did that protest, we had very little activity in the field. And that was sort of like really like um, like the big bang <laughs> of like uh, the essence of, of what we're like shouting about. I think that today we wouldn't do another protest like that in Tel Aviv uh, because we're, we're already we, we have all the stuff. Uh, going on so I think but that at that time at that point for us we were like 22 23 something like that for us at that point that was like a really big moment because crystallize uh, exactly what we wanted to say to the world and in that sense also shaping our identity as people that want to create a revolution or they want to totally change things here in Israel. It definitely felt revolutionary. It definitely felt like a revolutionary act being out there in Tel Aviv, in the center of the country, um, people walking by wondering what was going on. And you were just doing it. You were just rocking it. You were just saying, you know, we're here and we can do what we want and we can challenge everything. And we're just going to make it happen because no one else is going to make it happen for us. I've got a couple more questions. Sure. You mentioned movement members live in groups. You mentioned uh, urban kibbutzim, intentional communities, if you like. And I'm wondering mm-hmm. how this connects to the work that you're doing. How does it complement it in terms of what, what you're saying to Israeli society by living in that way? I'll uh, maybe explain about it a little bit more first. What it means is that every group, and when I say group, I mean between 20 to 50 people, they live in a cooperative uh, lifestyle, um, which means a few things. It means that they pool their income, they pool their resources, and they pool their income, but they also um, pool their expenses. So we own 30 people, uh, own 10 cars together. And then people can use those cars as much as they they want. Um, We have uh, co-working spaces. We have like studio space that we rent together and that we work in together. And most of us also live in one form uh, or another of of uh, communal setting, which means that in the same uh, house, uh, we live uh, between three to like five, six people, sometimes uh, with kids too. We organize our um, people that do the shopping and that clean the house and we like do it all together, but through, through uh, not just like as uh, roommates, but uh, we have like a joint uh, bank account that we, uh, that we all uh, participate in and, and work to fund. I, I, for example, I live in the same uh, house with uh, four other adults and two kids that are two kids from that one of the couples that, that lives here. And I've been living with this, uh, with this uh, communal cooperative group for over 11 years now. And first of all, it's amazing. Anybody who's thinking about this, you're welcome to come and visit and see how fun it is. (laughs) 
it's more people to fight about uh, doing the dishes, but it's also more people that can do the dishes. I think that the, the, the first thing is, is that being, being uh, the, the, the choice that being part of a larger community also has practical aspects to it. And it's not, and it's not just a, a concept and it's not just uh, like something like, like holidays together. Again, all of these things are great, but creating a bond between a larger group that creates the practical aspects of the solidarity between between that larger group. And that gives a more, um, a stronger foundation for, the, for this partnership in order for this partnership to be able to do things in the world, okay? And to have a social, a social mission. If we're 30 people that, that live in a cooperative uh, lifestyle and one a month uh, a year, uh, one person uh, suddenly uh, is out of work or doesn't have a, or, or has finished the project that they were doing and want to continue to the next project before they, uh, they have more income. They can do that and they're not just stranded to like make a living on their own and, and be totally n- not able to like take on uh, new, new uh, like social projects that they want to do in, in the community. So it's a stronger economic base for a large group of people that have a social mission. And of course, everything that has to do also with uh, savings. We, we all know, of course, that you don't need a car 24 hours a day, right? You don't need your office space 24 hours a day. You can, right? We have this like whole concept of shared economy, which is now like very new, but the Kibbutz movement uh, invented this over a hundred years ago. It's also the fact that when you, when you want to also save and also be more efficient, then you need less, you need to, you, you can consume less resources than you, than you would need to if you were just uh, living on your own. So that's like an, another aspect to that. And I think also the, just like the social aspect of, uh, you know, you're, um, you're a musician and you want, you have this idea of recording this, uh, this song and you, uh, and you have like, uh, 15 other musicians, whether they're in your city or they're in a different, uh, different, uh, community and you can like, uh, collaborate with them and like, in you know, in no time, get it done and start performing. So again, like the whole aspect of, of networking and collaborating is also much stronger because it's, it's very, uh, very, very uh, networked and people also, they're your friends. They're not just your like co-workers. So creatively as well, it's something that you can, you can see in that environment, in those surroundings, you're able to, to create and experiment and explore different ideas because of the deep connections that you have with each other in terms of financial, in terms of the social, but also creatively? Yeah, of course. If you look at artists who wants to produce uh, like a festival or a big project, they need so much uh, uh, funding and financial backing in the first place to actually go on and even start to create a project um, that, they, that they can't do it. But here you have like your, you have access to a whole group of people that can sit down with you and like brainstorm on the different ideas and then can then perform in the festival and can also come and just pitch in and, and uh, build a set or, uh, or, or carry or like uh, carry a fence uh, that you need or, or to volunteer in the event. So things like that are something that, that are much, it's much easier, it's much easier and much more accessible to collaborate. Uh, creatively and artistically because you you're part of a, a ver- very committed network of people. Adas, I really enjoyed speaking to you. I've got one more question uh, with your permission. 
You work mainly with youth. What is your message to kids growing up in Israel today? What can the future hold for them in a society that's deeply fractured, often violent, sexist, racist, who name it, huge gaps between rich and poor? What's your message to them? So first of all, we don't just work with youth. We work with uh, adults too, and they also need hope. <laughs> And need uh, positive messages too. My main message and my main, the essence, I think, of hope is a very, very simple but deep concept of organizing. If you organize and you are not just an individual in the world, you will be able to do anything. You will be able to shift uh, political power. You will be able to, to transform conservative Uh, points of view. You will be able to uh, affect the local community that you're part of. You'll be able to deal with, with any issue if you choose to, to organize with your peers, with your friends, with the people in your neighborhood, in your school. And I think that um, putting aside art and culture and all of the practicalities of what we're doing, I think the most important thing that I've learned over the past uh, almost 15 years is that organizing together uh, to achieve a big goal in society is, is possible. And that is something that no politician and no uh, uh, bigot or anyone can take away from youth or from adults or from young people anywhere in the world is, uh, is the ability to organize uh, around, uh, around the cause. To change the world. Adas, I love your passion. I love the hope and the practical expression of that hope in that not sitting around waiting for other people to change the reality, but actually going about changing that reality yourselves. Thank you. Thank you, first of all. And I would just want to add one thing is that for anyone who's listening, you are invited to Israel. You are invited to Afura. Anyone who comes, you will be, uh, you will be greeted with a lot of uh, love. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Oh